Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your host, Odo Sevilla, and I have a very special guest for you today, Michael Rivero. Michael is the co-founder of Top Shot Pro. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, Odo. How's it going? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Couldn't have a better day. We're actually celebrating uh, one of my best friend's birthday this evening, so I'm excited. Uh, So time to party a little bit later then. Yeah, I got to show him how to live it up a little. (laughs) (laughs) that's good that's good so before we go into your journey michael if you could just give the audience just a general overview of who is top shot pro absolutely so top shot pro is a real estate marketing technology company Uh, we were born here in the dmv area and we help real estate professionals grow their business by growing their personal brands and really their marketing capabilities across the board so we were fortunate to be here three years later that's awesome. Congrats on the three-year anniversary. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I saw what you did and I thought it's very cool. The real estate professionals you mostly help by residential realtors, correct? Yeah, a lot of them are residential. We do some commercial work. Um, we recently partnered up with a couple of people that own some commercial buildings. We're in the process of working with companies like AREP. I don't know if you know them, like American Real Estate something. Yeah. Um, but we're in the process of seeing if we can collaborate with them. They have about 57 plus buildings. So we'll see what happens. Commercial hasn't been something that we've tapped in yet, but residential most definitely has shown us a lot of love. Yeah. And I can't wait to get into it because I'm in commercial, if you don't know, and residential is at a totally different level compared to commercial and what some of my colleagues are doing. Um and I'm the type of person that I'm always looking for inspiration in other industries and other things and trying to get little bits and pieces there and seeing what I can learn myself and how can maybe I can incorporate that for me and my business. Um, and so I saw what you guys are doing. I'm like, oh, man, this is great. Any business can use, whether you're real estate or non-real estate related. Um, so I, I can't wait to get in and maybe you can give us some pointers and advice to the audience. For sure. I'd love that. Yeah. So are you originally from the DMV area or where, where did you grow up? Where were you born? Gotcha. No. So I, um, long story cut short, uh, was born in Bolivia originally. I was born in La Paz, Bolivia, and I was raised there until I was 13 years old. So I moved here from Bolivia at the age of 13. I was at finished eighth grade in Bolivia, which school in Bolivia finishes right around August, September. And then I got here and they were in in summertime. And then I had to restart eighth grade um, because they couldn't take my credit. So I had to restart eighth grade 
here in the U.S. And that was a breeze. But um, yeah, so I've been here since I was 13 years old and grew up in Manassas, Virginia. Uh, and now I'm just out here in the McLean Tysons area. Okay. All right. Great. So growing up in La Paz, uh, besides, I assume, I could be wrong, playing football, uh, what were you into? Oh, absolutely. The football, right? It was, um, I was definitely into a lot of computer stuff. Um, I remember I would constantly, so my mom moved to the United States when I was 10 years old. And in that three, almost four year period that she wasn't around, um, my dad, I mean, with my dad, I would go and play soccer. I'd be in like all of these different soccer teams. But then my grandma, she would help me and she, for the most part, like that's when I, I got a hint that I was good at delegating stuff. She'd be doing like the majority of my homework. And in that meantime, she would give me like five pesos and then I would take that money, go to like the internet cafe and learn how to use a computer. So it was also video games for sure. <laughs> uh, so it was, um, that was like, honestly, what I was into. My days were composed of going to school, getting home, passing my homework to my grandma. Um, shouldn't admit that, but whatever. Um, and then from that point, it was a matter of me just going out, hanging out with friends, playing soccer, playing video games, uh, being at a computer to some capacity or extent. Um, and, you know, just kind of I was I was learning my own way. I felt very much responsible uh, for myself, even though I wasn't like they were taking care of me. I was super spoiled. But for the most part, I was just like at a face where, oh, my mom's not here. My dad's at work. I can just do whatever the hell I want. And that's what I was doing with my time. Yeah. And grandparents being grandparents are always spoiling you. A hundred percent. Couldn't be more blessed, man. Yeah. That's true. So you, you said your, your mom was here in the United States for about three to four years. And, and then I guess there was time and it was time for you to come over or what happened? Yeah. So essentially, I was supposed to move here with her back in 2001. And what had happened was my grandma on my dad's side of the family, she had been here a thousand times and she scared my mom and was like, well, if you move there with Michael, and they find him by himself at the house while you're at work, you know, they're going to take him from you. And that scared my mom like a million percent. So she was just like, nope, not running that risk. Like I could not be separated in that manner from you. So it was just one of those things where I had already had like a goodbye party at my school. And then I showed up the next Monday, like just kidding, guys. Um, and, you know, I mean, things happen for whatever reason, but I'm definitely grateful that I didn't come at that time. Um, cause in the, in that three year period, obviously being a kid, I went through the face of anger, resentment, uh, towards my mom. Like I felt like she had left me. Right. But then I also grew into the face of like, wow, she's like hustling. She's doing everything she can. She like literally moved out of the country to be able to one day provide a better life for me. And at a very early stage of my life that set a big perspective on how much like a parent's willing to go through for their kids. So I knew that coming here once I was like in eighth grade, cause I was never a good student back in Bolivia, but like coming here, I was just like, okay, this is, this is the chance that I have. This is the opportunity that I had. And since I got here, man, like I just always felt indebted to like make it right because not many people get the opportunity to go and make something of themselves in a different place. That's like so abundant, you know? 
That, that, that's good that you appreciate that. Um, being a fellow immigrant myself, I came here to this country at, at a much younger age than you, but I feel the same way. You know, our, our parents fled for a better future to come here to America and you just have to take advantage of it. And it's sometimes sad to see, especially if you live, you know, when you come here, you typically go to an immigrant community because you try to find other people similar to yourselves. And, to a class, and then you see other immigrants there, maybe other kids and they're, and I used to be like that. I used to be sort of goofing off, not taking things seriously, like it doesn't matter. But then some people are still in that track and don't get their stuff together. Um, it's just sad to see that other, other people just not taking full advantage of what this country has to offer to everyone. Absolutely. And I think that was the biggest deal for me because I realized very quickly that though, like, again, coming into eighth grade, the people that I fit in with the most was, again, like the immigrant community soccer team, you know, it was like one of the two. So I was doing very well, but also there were things like habits and behaviors that I didn't necessarily know better at the time. And I was just like, okay, like if this helps me fit in and then very quickly, I realized like, this is, this is not a good path to go in, especially when I'm like, like, you just kind of realize, like, you know, even as a kid, you realize when you're doing the wrong things or mm -hmm. things that are not moving in the way that you want to have a, a better future for yourself. And I just like, I was like, okay. So that's when I was like, okay, maybe I need to not be so extroverted and be a little bit more introverted and a little bit more selfish with my time, dedicate myself to school a little bit more, which it had its pros and its cons. But for the most part, I mean, to, to see where, where I'm headed today and as opposed to who I could have been had I stayed in that path. I'm just like, I'm so glad I chose that. <laughs> you know? That's good. I, I'm glad you, you, you got the, your act together. <laughs> yeah. Early on, man, you have to. You have to. I, I was the same way. I, I, I grew up in DC in the city and okay. same thing, you know, immigrant community and everything. But um, luckily my, my parents around junior high school, middle school, they, they took me out of DC and we moved to Maryland. And that just flipped everything. That was for me for the first time. I started getting on the honor roll for the first time, just because I wasn't in that environment with my group of friends. And the, for the first time, that's when I started thinking about maybe I can do this college thing. What is this college thing? Mm -hmm. And it, it just it, it was a better path. Absolutely. So you, you went to high school in Northern Virginia, right? Yeah, I went to high school in Manassas. At the time, it was called Stonewall Jackson High School. I graduated in 09, and um, now it's called like Unity Reed or something like that. Um, but I went to high school. It was, I mean, great years. I played soccer there. And towards my senior year, it's when I was like, okay, like maybe I should look into college. <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do, quite honestly, because I just... I'm one of those people that if I catch an interest in something, I will dive right in, but I'll also lose interest very quickly uh, in certain things. So I just didn't have anything that I was too fond or passionate about. And once it came to going to college, I was like, okay, let me just choose business. And I went into school at Nova for like my first year. Um, by the time I got to my second year in college, I took a business class. And that's where things started to click for me. Um, not just from, I was working full time and at every single job that I had had from the time I was in high school, 
till the time I got to college, like I would always find a side hustle. I was like, oh, here's where this business is messing up. Let's see how my side hustle does better than they do, you know? Um, and it just like one thing clicked with another. And in college, my teacher, um, his name is Sly. He was a great mentor of mine. I still keep, keep in touch with him. He had a presentation where he was like, okay, come and pitch your business um, idea and how you would grow it. And it was like, here's $10,000 for your business. What, what's the first thing that you're doing? And everybody in class was like, oh, well, I would, I would go ahead and invest in logos. I would invest in this and not invest in that and blah, blah, blah. And I went in and I said, I would go ahead and hire somebody with half of that money, teach them everything I know. And between the two of us, we sell it. By the time we double that money, I'd hire somebody else and repeat that process until I have about 10 people. And then he pulls me aside and he's like, hey, you should quit college. It's just like, okay, sir. You know, and it, it was like, that was a validating moment for me because I, up until that point, I was reselling sneakers. Like I'm a huge sneakerhead. So I was reselling sneakers and that's what I would do. I'd get like the neighborhood kids, hire them for like, sometimes depending on the shoe, it'd be like for McDonald's breakfast and stuff like that, and which they loved it. They were a part of something cool. But then I'll pay them like $100, $200, and I'll take like 16, 20 kids with me to buy all the shoes in the store so that I could sell them for like two, three times the price. And that's when I was like, huh, I've been doing this stuff. And that's when things started to click for me, which is fun. Did, did you actually take that uh, slide, your teacher's advice, and, and leave there or what happened? Yeah, it was in that moment. Like once he said that, I finished the semester and I just never looked back. Okay. I, um, I got myself into some full-time jobs and, um, you know, sometimes you just get suckered back into corporate, the corporate world, but somehow every single time I found myself doing some extracurricular activity and it was just like a matter of time. I remember at the time that he said that I was, I was working at FedEx and at FedEx, they give you like a 50 to 75% shipping discount which on average, say you and I were to ship to our countries, it'll cost like $300 to ship an envelope, mm -hmm. okay? With my discount, it was like $25. So I would go in and I would print flyers and like put my phone number and there's like international shipping. And I would put it on like these global food marketplaces and mm -hmm. everything and that they would call me, hey, I wanna ship. It's like, okay, here's what you will actually pay here's what I'm charging you. And I was making money there. And I was like, okay, that worked. And then once he told me that I had just gotten another job working at an auto loan place, like, you know, like where they give you money for your title. Mm -hmm. And I had worked at one point in my life in collections. So like, I knew how to call people and be like, Hey, pay this money back, you know? And I realized at that job, like the decision to leave was made. I just didn't know what I wanted to do yet. I, I was calling people and it was like, okay, you don't have the money for this. Here's how much you owe. And I, was, I called my boss. I was like, these people are just not paying. She's like, yeah, forget about it. Like we just kind of must losses. I was like, can I call them and see like if I could pay for them? It's like, why would you do that? It's like, don't worry about it. She's like, whatever you want. She's like, you can even settle for up to this much. And it was like 60 to 70% of the loan. So I started calling like a list of like probably 2000 people and I was buying out cars. 
from people for like $100, $200. I'll buy it from them, buy the title, settle the loan, and resell it for $500, $1,000, $2,000. And it was such a fun experience for me. But then it was like, all right, back into a corporate world. And then somehow I would find myself bored again and then, you know, doing some things. And then in 2018, that's when I got, when things started clearing up for me in terms of what I needed to do. Out of all the different side gigs, whichever, I don't know which one was the first one. Was it, was it just flipping sneakers or whatever it was, which one was the, your favorite, your most favorite? Uh, sneakers, most definitely. Really? Uh, I think because I have, so I have, I had and still have, but not as bad, but I have a deep obsession for shoes and like Jordans, Yeezys, you name it. And I have about 430 plus pairs at my house. Like anytime I've moved, I've needed to get an extra room just for my, cause a closet doesn't do it. And so I would like, I would just, again, buy out all the sneakers. I set relationships with multiple foot lockers, finish lines, everything. And there was, it was a legitimate hustle. Like to go in, drive your little, at the time I was driving like a, a, a Nissan Sentra. I would drive my Nissan with like five kids in the back, my brother, my girl at the time, like in the front, it's like, all right. And then it's like, we go through every single mall in the area, pick up as many shoes just to realize they don't all fit in the trunk. Now it's like people and shoes up. It's like, all right guys, now like we need to box them and ship them. And it was like, it, it was so much fun. And that's around the time also when Instagram started like taking off. This is like 09, 10, all the way through like 2013. And I started taking photos of like the sneakers and I was like for sale or I would just wear them. And that's when like the word influencer became a thing. And I was like a legit sneaker influencer. I had like 50,000 followers at the time, which it used to be cool to have that. Um, but like people were like legitimately engaged and in love with how I was doing like my hustle and everything. And, um, it was, it was a really fun time. Like I like looking in hindsight, I had the opportunity to have a, like a sneaker store and, um, I just got scared off of that hustle. Okay. I got super scared off of that hustle because it was very lucrative, but it was also dangerous. So, dangerous in what way? Uh, cause I got known as the sneaker guy in the DMV area. Okay. Um, to the point where I've never actually shared this story, which is cool. Um, these guys knew about me and knew that I was going to swipe stores. Like they were also in line, like overnight in line. And I would just always have someone be the first person in line. And I would have about like 15 other people that were right behind them. And they knew. So one day it was the middle of the night. There was the crimson crimson foam posits that's what they're called uh it's big release the hype is crazy and mind you i would take pre-orders without even having sneakers in hand um and i had sold about 78 sneakers at like 350 dollars a pop so i had all that money with me already and i was just like okay guys like when it's time to go it's time to go we gotta buy them they're like okay like the entire team right and comes like I show up to the store, like again, front of the line around like 2 a.m. Comes 3.30 a.m., 4 a.m. People are sleeping. Some people are slouching. Some people are pulling up from the club directly to buy sneakers at 6 a.m. And um, these guys on the other side of the mall um, had been asking like, where's Michael at? Where's Michael at? 
And one of my friends calls me and it's like, people are asking about you. Thankfully, I grabbed the stash of cash that I had. I took it. And the reason why I carried cash is because I had to pay off the manager to also reserve so many sneakers for me. I took the stash of cash, dropped it in the car, and I went back in line. And next thing you know, these guys at like 4 a.m. are going at the end of the line that was stupid they should have started at the beginning they would have gotten my money but <laughs> they started at the back of the line robbing people and i wake up i look up and some girl screams oh my god they have a gun i promise you bro like usain bolt would have never caught up to me in that moment i ran so fast and i drove like i got every single one of the kids that was with me i pushed them into an ihop and then i ran so fast and then I was just like, as I was running, I was like, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. And in that moment, I was done selling sneakers like for good. And again, I wish it wouldn't happen that way, but it, it did what it did. Wow. It was, it was something. <laughs> you were just saying, Michael, you had pre-orders of 350. So you were selling them for 350, right? Yeah. And you were purchasing them for how much? Uh, the, the phone posits at the time were between 180 to 200. Okay. So you, there's at least a hundred dollars spread or more per sneaker. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money and I would, I would have enough cash to buy the sneakers. Um, because also like if like at the stores, it was weird. I rule, like if you swipe your card once, you can't swipe it again. It was just, so I was just have a stash of cash. Like if you ever want to feel like a rapper, like that's the time, <laughs> you know? Uh, but it just was not like, it was, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, that's a big business. I remember I, I put in a, a business a little while ago in a small little space under a thousand square feet in Northern Virginia retail space, sneakerhead, mm -hmm. a reseller, literally in less than a year, went to three times the space. Wow. It, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a good it's, business. It's, it's a great business. There's, there's a lot of like, it's, it's definitely a niche. Yes. You know, and, and there's like my mentor says, uh, riches are in the niches. And I was doing that before I even knew my mentor. So I'm like, okay, that's good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you come about with top shop, top shop pro? How, how did that, how, how did that idea come? That's a good question. So essentially I'd like to say, and I'll take you way back. Um, there are, there are four phone calls in my life that have led me to Top Shot Pro. Um, the first phone call I received when I was between five and six years old, I was playing at my dad's house. I was playing soccer out in the, in the front yard with my cousin and my mom calls. And my mom at the time was having some mental health issues. And she calls and she's like, hey, and they call me Mickey at the house. Say, like, hey, Mickey, I'm like, what's going on, mom? And she's like, I'm just calling to say goodbye. And like, you know, when you feel that goodbye and like, it really sinks in. So like, what do you mean? She's like, I just can't do this. It's too hard. And I took some stuff and I turned to my dad and I'm like, this is what my mom just said. And my dad was just like, no, she didn't. Don't worry about it. But I like, I, as a kid, as like as five, six year old, like I knew. And in that moment I was like, Hey mom, I love you. Bye. I hang up, but I immediately pick up and I call my aunts, I call my grandma, I call everybody. And fortunately, they got to my mom 
on time, things were resolved. But in that moment at like five, six years old, I became very aware and prob like solution, like problem, a problem solver, I would say, like very solutions oriented. And later as, as the years went by, uh, obviously like I got here and everything in between, um, I'm working at this digital marketing company and that's where I met my business partner, Josh. And at the time we weren't even thinking business. We were literally just like two guys that like the same music, like the same type of clothing. Uh, we hang out, we're cool with each other. He's also about six or eight, actually seven years younger than I am. And I'm just like this, this kid, like I, I love him to death. He's like my little brother, you know? And um, one day he calls me and he's just like, Hey, Michael, it's like, what's up, man? I was like, you typically don't call me after a work hours. Like, is everything okay? He's like, I'm thinking about quitting college. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, and you're the only person that knows this. I want your take. In that moment with that phone call, I became responsible, I would say. And uh, I had such a huge sense of responsibility because for me, I was like, dude, quit. <laughs> you know, I had already done it. And I was like, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing just fine. And, but for me, I was like, Fuck. like, what do I do? What do I tell this kid? And I told him, I was like, do whatever your heart tells you. But if you quit, just be willing to not look back and be willing to outwork every single person that you encounter, like in any shape or form. And that's when I gained a sense of responsibility because at that point I was like, well, look, man, if you do this, like I'm thinking about quitting too. Uh, well, not college, but like work. And then I'm thinking about starting a business, yada, yada. So that's where conversations began. And a couple months later, I had gotten published in the Washington DC magazine, like the Washingtonian. And I remember calling my mom and I was like, hey, I just got published for the first time for photography. Like, it's a huge feat. Like, I'd never thought that I would get like an award or like even published for photography. Like, it got sent to like 17,000 homes and it's also on like private flights and all this crap. I was just super proud and excited. And she was like, how much did they pay you? I was like, what the hell? So then I call my dad and my dad's like, son, he's like, even if they gave you no money, like, I'm super proud of you for doing what you love. It was in that moment, like, I genuinely felt like I need to chase passion. So I was, like, very deeply passionate about, like, being this creative person. Again, mind you, like, years back, I was taking pictures of sneakers. Now I got published for taking pictures of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, call number one teaches me, like, problem solving. Call number two teaches me responsibility. Call number three teaches me passion, if anything, and then my last call is a month before I quit my job, which was a digital, as a digital marketing strategist. Um, I was working at this marketing company, managed about 250 businesses. It was a pretty big book of business that I was managing, but I just wasn't passionate about it anymore. And I called my mom and I'm like, I'm thinking about quitting my job. And she's like, well, your stepdad today told me that we're getting a divorce. And truth be told, I'm excited for you, son, but I don't know whether we'll be able to keep that family house or not. And I'm like, come on, you know, <laughs> like, let, like, let me just share my good news. <laughs> and um, it was in that moment where in my head, it just clicked. I was like, well, if that were to be the case, 
someone's going to need to help my mom and it's not going to be an attorney. So it'll be a realtor and maybe like one of those mortgage people. I didn't even know the term loan officer. And that's when it became, I would say, intentional and purposeful. So when you take all of those four phone calls that led to that moment, I was just like, everything has led me to this moment and I just got to do it. I just got to dive in. I quit my job on May of 2019. Um, I told Josh, I was like, I hope you join me. And I went out and for 30 days, I hustled my ass off literally door by door, agent to agent, as many people as I could get in front of until one client signed up. The second that client signed up, I was like, okay, Josh, like we have some income. It was never even like, I have some income. Like I'm surviving here with what I saved for the past six months leading up to this moment. It's like, we have some income. He quits. I'm like, okay, now responsibility kicks in and our core value is passion. Okay. So now we started going after more people together and like, just like one client leads to the other, to the other, to the other. And I mean, it started, it started out of sheer, like not doing it even for the money. It was like, let me help my mom with her situation first. But then in that moment, again, it also became very clear that agents needed our assistance, our expertise and our help so that they could help people like my mom. And I was just like, okay, like that in and of itself, like if there was ever a perfect mix, mesh, match, like that's it. And here we are. Michael, so you, when you said you're for that 30 days, you're just reaching out to people. Are you calling these broker or these agents or are you going to realtor offices and trying to pitch your services or what are you doing? So I didn't even know what I was selling yet. Okay. Ah, okay. I, I knew, I knew I wanted to help them with video production. I knew I wanted to help them with marketing social media advertising, they didn't have a package. So it's like me saying, hey, Odo, um, I can do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and I'll say yes to everything else at the time, right? But I was cold calling, no script. I was just like, hey, man, like, look, this is, this is what I'm doing, nothing. I, and then like got hung up a lot, which I became very desensitized to being told no. I was just like, okay, mm -hmm. next. I went on Google and looked up all the offices, all the real estate offices in Alexandria. And I door knocked every single one of them until two of them gave me training sessions. Uh, it was a Long and Foster uh, ad in, again, in Alexandria and it was a Compass office. And I remember putting, like I've always been about presentation and brand. So I remember putting a beautiful presentation, which I thought it was beautiful, but now like in hindsight, it was crap. Like, I put it together and I go show it to 60 plus agents and none of them like sign up or anything. It's just like, damn, that sucks. But then the broker, the manager broker, his name is Forrest Odenhall. He came up to me and he was like, that was a $20,000 presentation. Stay persistent. I was like, all right. So I need it. Like I didn't even need the business. I just needed the, the thumbs up. So we did that for a while. And after that, it was like, well, what are we selling? Video marketing, social media, advertising. Let's just be living proof of what we do sells and what we do works. So I kid you not, since that day, I was like, All right, I am no, I'm not just a business owner, but I'm also a content creator and I'm going to lead people by example. And I, I mean, that's how we connected, you know, like all this time, like three years later, it took trial and error and failing and looking dumb on camera and being willing to say the wrong things and 
be willing to offend people and choosing sides and voicing how you feel and think and people resonating with that or not. And here we are. So in this three-year time frame, you've grown your Instagram top shop, top shot DC, no top shot pro DC, right? Yeah. It's top shot DC. Top shot DC. Sorry. Top mm-hmm. shot DC in, in that three-year time frame, over 70,000 followers. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Cause like, I, I don't, I don't hold back on any secrets whatsoever. Um, I, I think it's stupid. And I think it's, um, more than anything, it's helpful to people to know this. Like we live in such a vain world where those numbers matter. Like, I think, I think walking out of this, what would matter to me most would be like, did I just make a new friend? Right. Mm-hmm. But most people don't see that when, when we're interacting online, they just see the numbers and they see the, the content. So the perception becomes reality. So I had at the time that I had, that I got started, Josh had 1500 followers, I had 2,500 plus followers. Uh, and the majority of them were content creators, like photographers, videographers, people as such that I had connected with through photography, videography. And, um, I was like, okay, we're putting out consistent content, putting out consistent content. And then a guy that I had been following for a while, I messaged him. I was like, dude, how the hell did you get 500,000 followers? He's like, look, man, he's like, the name of the game is perception. I was like, okay. So I said, you mean to tell me that your followers are fake? He's like, no, 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 no. I mean to tell you that you just need to connect and network with the right people. So I connected with this company called uh, High Key Clout, which they essentially, they partner with celebrities, like celebrity giveaways. I'm sure you've seen some of those. Yeah. Like Kylie Jenner does them, Lily Pons, Kim Kardashian, like they all do them. And he was like, you should participate in one of those and let me know how it works. So I'm like, okay, I have 2,500 followers. People are barely paying attention to the, to the kid that's selling real estate marketing services because it's like, Oh, you're selling real estate marketing, but you don't even have a following. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. It's like, let's do it. I paid the money. Um, is it a lot by the way? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was a lot because the, what, the, what happens is the celebrity follows you and, ah. immediate, and immediately their followers follow you. So it's like an endorsement. Yeah. Okay. And then the celebrity goes and posts on their feed and says, I'm going to give, $10,000 away and a Mercedes Benz. If you guys go follow the people that I just followed, which they, what the celebrity does is they'll unfollow everybody they're following and they'll follow like 30 or 50 people. So I'm in a group of already 30 or 50 people that I'm by default networking with. Mm-hmm. And they're really high people, like people within the industry, including like Tom Ferry's been on it. Um, Ricky Cruz has been on it, Uh you know, it's like, and I'm just like, all right, like these guys are doing it. They figured it out. So I joined this thing. I connect with them. So I'm like, perfect. Now I have friendships, relationships, and I'm going to build and nurture that. But then there's also other people that I can network with. And my account goes from 2,500 to 32,000. Overnight. Within the span of 48 hours. Wow. And my engagement goes up and what I noticed is that people started dropping off almost immediately after those 48 hours. But where my business partner and I capitalized is we started going live three times a day. And we started posting twice a day, every single day for weeks at a time. 
So our retention of the, so typically now I get geeky, mm -hmm. it's like 32,000 followers on average off of that, I was going to fall back to like 15,000 because 40% plus of them just don't care about you. Mm -hmm. We were so persistent with our content that we only dropped by like four or 5,000, but four or 5,000 followers. And we kept going, kept going, kept going because our reach was there because we had the frequency and we were being really impactful with lives, with videos and everything. Now I'm at 40,000. Now I'm at 45,000 and I'm like 50. I got to 55,000 on my own from that point. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, last time it worked. So we did it another, another time. So the first time that we did it was with some YouTubers, which was great because it gave us a younger audience. The second time that we did it was with Cardi B and that was hilarious because I'm like, okay, now I'm getting like a New York crowd and people that like are asking me about WAP, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm just like, what the hell, whatever. So that grows my account to like 65K. It drops back down to like 60, 59. I don't remember the exact number. But again, like that boost of engagement and we do the same exact thing, but now our production is also better, you know? And at that point, what we were doing is while we're growing so fast, I was reaching out to real, real estate agents, real estate professionals in general, and I would li like their posts, drop a comment like, hey, man, I love your content, blah, 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 blah. Like be genuine about it, actually. Sure. And I was doing that about a hundred times a day. Okay. hundred times a day. And as I was like engaging with their feed, dropping a genuine comment a hundred times a day. And then what I would do is after I follow them, I'd send them a personalized video. So it's every, every person that I connected with in that time frame received like a personalized video from me that said like, look, man, the reason why I commented on your post about X was because of this, 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 and this, and the engagement, our awareness just blew up. And then one thing led to the next where people were like, well, can you do a speaking engagement? Can you do a training? Can you do a coaching? How did you grow your following? And it's the same story. Like, I don't need to lie about it. Yeah, It is what it is. Some people are like, you bought followers. And I'm like, no, I invested in engaged real people that made a choice to follow me because they thought they would win money. And some of them, like, obviously there are winners, like that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But the rest is like a matter of like, all right, now that I have grown this amount, let me now go after my target market and genuinely connect with them. And now, like I would say out of every 10 followers that I get every, like I get, I get on average, like 30 to 50 followers a day out of, out of that amount of people that follow me, I would say about two thirds of them are within the industry. And it's so much easier because as soon as they follow me now, I go engage with them and I still do the same thing. I have probably sent over like 7,000 plus personalized messages. And, and this is you doing it or your team and you have someone else also because that's a lot uh, of messages. It's, um, it's me doing it. Um, whenever it's not me doing it, I do have somebody on my behalf doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, for the most part, like today I posted a ton of stories and I got some follows and I go look at who's, who's watching it mm -hmm. immediately. Hey, thanks for watching my story. What did you think of? Like it's, I wanted to like genuinely be, if not a hundred percent of the time for me, 80% of the time for me. Sure. You know? Cause the 20%, yeah. Now I have somebody like, okay, people are not following me from. Chicago, go ahead and look for real estate professionals on my behalf on Chicago. 
and start reaching out to them. Drop this comment and let me know once you follow them, give me the list and I'll send them a video and I get that done. So it's like every single day. And that's how we used Instagram to, well, Instagram was our, has been our growth vehicle for a while, but then from that alone, we've been able to, again, have all of these events and everything. And what we've done really well is be targeted, like where, what markets do we want to expand to now? Because mm-hmm. we never wanted to just be a local business. Like we're building a billion dollar business here. Like, and I'm not kidding about that. Um, so it's like, okay, what hot markets do we want? So we said, let's start DC, Maryland, Virginia. Let's then transition to New Jersey, New York. Let's from that point go to Miami, Orlando. Let's go to Los Angeles. Let's go to San Francisco. Let's go to Phoenix, Arizona. Let's go to, I don't know, like Austin, Texas. Like we're still testing out Texas, but every other state that I've mentioned, we have a huge presence in now. And it's like off of legitimately putting in the work, which 99% of people would not be so obsessed about. It's, it's, it, it, it's so true, Michael. And I'm glad you just mentioned that right now because it, it's a job. It, it, it's literally more than a job because even when you got, got the original fu- that inflow of followers, you were doing three lives per day, posting twice per day, and you were doing that daily for a period of time. Yep. And it's like, you have to be willing to put in the work. It's like people want results from social media, but they don't want to put in the work. And social is about being social. I've not once stopped being social. Again, like we connected, like this is, you didn't get my VA, you didn't get someone on my team, like you got Mm -hmm. me in, like, I'm proud to say that, right? Now with our clients, we're like, we want you to focus on building your business because social media is not your strength. Mm -hmm. So let us do it all for you. But in the process, we want you to learn how to do this yourself too. So that one day you can get like what we're getting ourselves. And some of them do, and some of them don't. But again, to your point, it's a hundred percent a job, but I think that it's a part of the job quite honestly, because we used to keep up with the Joneses, right? You've heard that saying like, oh, I'm keeping, keeping up with the Joneses. Like 2022, like in forward, and for a while now, we've been keeping up with the Kardashians. You know, like think about that. We don't keep up with the Joneses. We keep up with the Kardashians. Like we used to have a huge abundance of attention because our attention was on the news. Our attention was on radio. Our attention was on television, right? Nowadays, our attention is on social and there's an abundance of media. So the only thing that's going to separate us if we're not the Kim Kardashians of the world is to be genuinely real and be ourselves and be persistently social on these platforms. Michael, what are some things you are doing it right now? You're doing it now and even before as far as reaching out proactively to realtors, because that's that's your client, correct? So you're trying to find ways to reach out to them 100 plus times a day through Instagram. And now you have them, you're doing it for them as far as realtors, their account reaching out to, I guess, maybe potential home buyers or sellers. So what are some tactics that someone can use, whatever type of business, whether realtor or not, to proactively connect and build a relationship with their end consumer, client, or customer out there? That's a good question. So all, all of marketing boils down to three principles, no matter what type of marketing you do. And I learned this from my mentor, Bill Hillestad. 
um, one of the principles is reach. You want to reach as many people as possible. Like reach is king, okay? Once you have the reach, you need to back it up by frequency. And by frequency, what we mean is the amount of times that people see you consistently. The reason why when someone says pa 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 automatically in our head, we finish that. You said it in your head. <laughs> it's like, I'm loving it, right? Or whenever we see like red and white bottles, like we know it's Coca-Cola, like it's because we see it so much. There's a frequency of that, right? And then the impact boils down to the messaging. So I think in any any area in which a business owner is looking to do better with their marketing and accomplish like what we're doing for ourselves and for our clients is those three principles like reach. Am I reaching enough people? Am I doing everything in my power to reach more people? Am I doing it frequently enough? Because it takes about 18 times of us seeing someone or something before we give it attention now. And then the impact is the content that I'm seeing impactful in my life. Is it entertaining, educating, motivating, inspiring, or simply a good distraction. Mm -hmm. And if it's one, any one of those things, we're likely to go back and pay attention again. That's what TikTok is doing to us now. There's a few accounts that pop up every now and then, and even we don't follow them. They're so distracting or they're so funny or entertaining or educational that you're just like, oh, okay, I like this guy. And it takes about 18 times before you choose to follow that person. You know, so I would say like, again, anybody that is looking to do better for their themselves in marketing, if they follow those three principles, in any way, shape, or form, like they're likely to get results a hundred percent. And stay consistent with it too. Yeah. I mean, that's the frequency, you know, yeah. like I, um, I think, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what we tell prospects. It's kind of like every, every person wants to be a millionaire, but now nobody wants to work a million times more than the average person right? Everybody wants to be in shape, but they're not willing to pay attention to their diet, nor put in the time at the gym. Like you don't just magically wake up with those things. So on our end, our goal is to say to our clients, say, Hey, Odo, look, man, you get the six pack, but we'll work out for you. You know? And they're like, Oh, really? Yeah. Like, we'll do that. But again, it's, it's a matter of like, someone's got to do the work. Yeah. Someone's got to do the work because nothing, nothing is just handed. Like, unless you randomly, you randomly like happen to network with, I don't know, like this happened, for example, with Josh, my business partner, he was at a party and he ended up meeting the right-hand man of Mr. Beast. It's like the world's biggest YouTuber. And now they're like really close friends, almost like best friends. So it's like, okay, well, if Josh gets the shout out from Mr. Beast or the follow from Mr. Beast, he's just like going to another level online, but that doesn't happen to everybody all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. That's so true. You, you were just mentioned even at a younger age, little with your grandmother and again, in school with Sly, your teacher, as far as learning how to delegate. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, Michael, how do you go about finding the right team members to join the team and I guess scale that way? Because in order for you to properly scale, especially you building the billion dollar business, you need to have the people. Yep, absolutely. So, um, there's a couple of things that have helped us, uh, and helped me personally. So from now as a little kid, I just didn't want to do anything that didn't bring me joy or energy. 
So homework was one of those. Um, and then most recently learned a concept from one of our mentors. His name is Dean Jackson and Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach, which is a great book, by the way. It's called Who Not How. Okay. Always like when you ask how to do it, you end up with a checklist or an encyclopedia of steps. When you ask who can do it, that, that's where it ends. That's where your work ends. Just think of a recipe. A Michelin star chef, you don't ask them how they did it. You want them to cook it for you. You just eat it, or, you know? So we follow the who, the who, not how concept. We also work on a unique ability teamwork. So I, the best advice I've ever received was before I quit my digital marketing job where I met Josh. And it was, I know you're leaving to start a company in the marketing space. Never hire somebody for a job that you yourself could not do. So I put myself, sorry, like my ass through the ringer, like learning how to shoot video, taking better photos, editing, distributing, and writing. Like, so I learned copy, closing, speaking, and I practice it every day till this day. Um, but from that point, I understood the pain points that like team members would go through. And I was like, okay, now I know how to edit a video and I know how long it takes and I don't like it. It doesn't give me energy or joy. I just know what I want to see hire for that position. And the way that we hire is very, very simple. It's like two questions. One of them is, Hey, you were born one day. And next thing you know, you're on this interview. Tell us what happened in between. Cause the way that they filled the gap, it tells you everything you need to know about the person. And number two is we ask them uh, this framework from that we learned from Gino Wickman from the book called Traction. We ask them, do you get what we're looking for? They're like, yes. You get the job, yes. Do you want it? Yes. Do you have the capacity to do it? Capacity meaning like this is probably like you're, you're looking for a part-time job, but it's probably going to feel a lot more full-time or you're looking for a full-time job and you're going to feel like you're working 180 hours a week. Like, and they're like, if we get three yeses, then we bring them in. And what we do is we give them an impact filter. And the impact filter basically says, Odo, this is the impact that you are going to have in our company that we will get off of you delivering on the impact filter, like the task, the duties, the job itself is X, Y, and Z. The worst result is X, Y, and Z. So they have very clear expectations. And on top of that, we give them a four by four, which says, this is what we expect for you in terms of performance. These are the results we're looking for. This is how you can be a hero to the company and to your team members. And this is what will piss us off and get you fired. And we are super transparent with that. And then every month we meet with our team members, show them their impact filter, their four by four or every quarter now. And it's like, you have not been aligned with these. And unless we fix that, we're gonna have to let you go. And I mean, again, three years later, we've built a team from what used to be just two of us doing it, doing all of it for our clients. to now we have over 25 people helping us build this company. Are they all located here locally in the DMV or everywhere? No, we've gotten really fortunate that we have a team throughout the state. Mm -hmm. So we have a presence in Texas, California, West Virginia, um, Pennsylvania, Chicago. But we also have a team out of Australia, out of Germany. We have a team out of Colombia, 
uh, and I mean, again, on a, a team out of the Philippines, and we all just work together because our job is to lead them in in a positive way to the where they they take full ownership of this company as if it is theirs, which it is. And in that process, what we've seen is like them being like super dedicated, like our team in the Philippines, because of the amount of work that we give them and that we're able to do, they've been able to like feed and finance their church, which has been able to like one, like the team lead that we have over there, she has created a company of virtual assistants that we're now funding. So that's helping us helping them, our team in Germany and Australia, like the same thing they've built a team of video editors um designers and the same thing so it's like i want to grow this division of the company with you i want to grow this part of the company with you and like everybody has their own little company through our company and i mean people just need to own something with you you know yeah. it's uh, the best saying i've ever heard is the best form of friendship relationship and love is to build with people that you want to have a loving relationship with. And that's very true. I mean, why do you get married? You want to build something with that person. Why do you have a best friend? It's like not to drink. You want to build something with them. Right. So it's like, I want to build with everybody that works with us. I love that. What would you say is your biggest challenge with your role at Top Shot Pro today? Ooh. No one tells me what to do. And I think that's our struggle as entrepreneurs and business owners is that if we've ever had a job, it was never our fault because we could always say, well, you didn't tell me. So no one tells us what to do. So I think it's the biggest struggle, but it's also the biggest strength because it gives us 100% ownership and responsibility of our actions. So for as long as we don't continue growing and developing as people, what we're doing is we're limiting others in the same way. And I don't want to be that person. Like I genuinely don't want to be that person. I think again, as we grow in an, air, in, an, in an age where we're keeping up with the Kardashians, we need people who legitimately care and give a, excuse my language, but like give a shit about the people that they work for, work with. And most importantly, like you just have to want it more than anybody else wants it. I, I always challenge my clients. I'm like, dude, I want you to succeed more than you do. It's like, no, you don't. What do you mean? Well, let's take a look, you know? And it's like, crap, okay. And that's the reason why our clients like choose to stay with us because we're also like pick like we don't want to work with people who are generally going to like blame shift it's like no no no, like like come on we gotta work i can't want it for you more than you want it for you mm -hmm. you know michael you have such a rich experience with with business with digital marketing social media marketing and all what do you know now that you wish you would have known at the start of your career um going back to my sneaker days because I think that that was my first taste of digital marketing and on, making money online and mm -hmm. teaching people and growing online. What I know now that I wish I knew then was it's okay to not do it all by yourself. It's okay to be genuine enough with yourself to understand that when you double down on your weaknesses, all you're creating is a stronger weakness, right? I'd rather have somebody who is strong in the areas that I'm weak work with me and for me, then for me to say, no, I want to keep that piece of the pie. And as Hispanics, Latinos, business owners, we tend to be very scarce sometimes in that because if we didn't grow up with money, we want to hold on tight. 
but now like i said i understand that if if i if the company like brings in an extra again just a short example if we bring in an extra ten thousand dollars how are we spending half if not all of that in developing our team and growing our team and learning something new and in creating like some sort of substantial like growth and development phase for one of us, if not all of us. Mm -hmm. And back then I didn't understand that. Otherwise today I'd be talking to you about my sneaker story. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Coming to end here now, I know you just mentioned earlier as far as what the future holds for you and the business, as far as expanding nationwide, is that where you see yourself in the next couple of years? Absolutely. So our so our mission is to revolutionize real estate, unifying people and technology. Again, kind of like it goes back all the way back to I need somebody to help people like my mom, but also I need to teach real estate professionals how to use technology in order to reach people like her. Right. So that's that's number one. But I think in the near future, apart from us going nationwide, um, what we're doing is right now establishing ourselves to be a one-stop shop, not just in all things marketing, but this upcoming year, we're starting our finance department, which is going to be helping our clients as, um, our clients, as clients um, fix their credit. That's one thing. So we're going to be, so we're going to have that, but we're also going to be bringing in ISAs, which are cold callers for our clients. But then later down the road, like I have it already, like I have it laid out and I'll show you after this if you want, but like 2032 plan, um, because I like to think like like 10 years in 2032, we will have, um, I think, ooh, I'm about to put this out in the universe. Um, it's on a presentation. I've never put it out. So it's uh, by 2032, we will most definitely be, um, the marketing agency or marketing company inside the blockchain. Um, and that's primarily because we're looking to solidify smart contracts for our clients, specifically thinking about real estate. So helping them understand how to write a contract in the blockchain so that you don't necessarily need to always use a title company so that you can get private funding uh, from private lenders within blockchain technology, but also how to help your buyers and your sellers turn a property into an NFT so that they can then continue to earn equity and money from the NFT. And it's something that we've been working on very slowly. Um, and we wanted to roll it out much sooner than it is, but the technology and our, and our attention span is but so much. So I think in the year 2032, that is what we'll be doing at scale for a ton of people. So we'll see when we get there. Oh, I love that. Michael, people want to find out more about you and the business work and they reach out, where can they find out more information? Uh, so my DMs are always open across the board. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, TopShotDC. You can find me on LinkedIn, Michael K. Rivero. Um, but for the most part, again, anybody that wants to reach out to me, Instagram will be the best place. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. Take care. Cheers. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.